The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I think that at some point or another, everybody, while they were in school, while you were in school, everybody went to class at some point in time without doing your homework. At some point in time, without being fully prepared. And it's always such an interesting thing because, of course, every teacher knows. <laughs> every teacher knows when a student is not prepared. You always hope that your teacher, will, maybe they won't call on me or they'll ask me one of the questions that I do know the answer to. Or maybe the test, maybe the test will be multiple choice and I got, you know, 50-50 chance of getting these questions right. But teachers always know. Always know when students aren't prepared. And students, honestly, they know it too. We know it too. When you show up to class, and you haven't done the homework, you haven't done the reading, you haven't done the assignments, you're just hoping to skate by, you know that that teacher knows that you know this is not going to end well. Everybody knows what it's like to be unprepared. But here's an interesting question for you. Why were you unprepared? The times that you didn't do your homework, the times that you didn't finish the assignments or do the reading or study adequately for your test, why did you do that? Why weren't you prepared? That's, of course, where all the excuses start to come out. You know the best one of all time. Well, the dog ate my homework. How could I do the homework when the dog ate it, right? I didn't have enough time, right? I had too many other things going on. I was so busy, or I forgot, forgot to do my homework, or I didn't know that that was going to be on the test. I thought that you were testing us on other things, right? All kinds of excuses come to the surface when you're not prepared for class. But there's a real underlying reason, which is a little bit tough to be honest about. It's tough because it always hurts the teacher's feelings and it, you don't want to admit it, but it's simply this. It just wasn't important to you. Economics was not important to you. Social studies wasn't important to you. Math was not important to you. And so, of course, you didn't study, right? You didn't do the work. You didn't care about it. That's the real reason. It was not important. I was thinking about this this week and I, of course, started to feel really guilty about all the times that I didn't take things seriously, so just so you know, you know, I'm in the same boat as everybody else. I showed up to class once with five minutes left in class. I had slept in late, and I showed up with five minutes left thinking that somehow the teacher would think, oh, he, this, this kid actually is interested in this stuff. Of course, by showing up with five minutes left in class, what was I demonstrating to the teacher and all my classmates that I was just ignoring? This is not important to me, right? Sleep 
is more important to me than coming to class. You know what that's like. Not to be prepared, and you know why you don't prepare. In our gospel lesson this morning, we have the scene set with ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom. There they all are. They are showing up in class. All of them are there. But five of them are foolish, and only five of them are wise. Now why is it, do you suppose, why is it that only five of them brought oil? Why did those five other virgins not bring the oil that they would need? I'm sure you can think of lots of reasons. Here's this wedding feast before you. And of course, there are lots of people, lots of reasons people show up to weddings that have nothing to do with the bridegroom or the bride. They're not excited about the event. They're not interested in the party, in the wedding party. They're just there, say, for a free meal. They're there for the buffet, right? Lots of reasons why somebody might show up not actually interested in celebrating. Oh, here's this event we can go to. Maybe this will be quick. We can get through it and we can get on with our life. We'll get you know, some dinner. We'll get a free dessert and maybe a drink at the bar. But then we'll get on with life. Lots of reasons why somebody might not be taking the preparations for this wedding seriously. But of course, the same real reason for a lack of preparation applies here as it does for you when you're not ready for class. The same reason applies. It just wasn't important to them. Why didn't they bring oil? Because it wasn't important. They didn't actually care about being ready for the feast. They didn't actually care about celebrating with the bridegroom and the bride. That's why those really hard words come at the end of our lesson. The bridegroom says to those five foolish virgins as they are knocking and trying to get in, what does he say to them? He says, I don't know you. You're like some shirt-tailed relative that I've never seen before who showed up just because we had to invite you. Who are you? I have no idea who you are. Clearly, you don't want to be here. You didn't bring enough oil. You weren't prepared. It's not that it was hard for them to get oil. This is a really important point. It's not that it was hard for them to get oil. Look, they were able to get oil even in the middle of the night when those wise virgins said to them, look, we don't have enough to share with you, so go get some for yourselves. Go buy some for yourselves. There was plenty to be found. It was the simplest thing, would have been the simplest thing for them to get enough oil to last the night. It would have been the simplest thing. But even the simplest things, when they are not important to you, feel like unbearable chores. So why is it? (laughs) that I didn't change the batteries in my clock until just this week. Because it wasn't important to me. It felt like an unbearable chore to go and get a battery. Why don't you change the light bulb in that socket that's burnt out? Because it's just not that important to you. It's a simple thing, right? Just go get a light bulb and screw it in. Couldn't be easier. Why don't you do it? Because it's not important. And because it's not important, it feels like a chore. It's only a chore if it's not important to you. That's how it was for these five foolish virgins. The simplest thing would have been to go and get enough oil to last the evening. They didn't know when the bridegroom was going to come. Usually, here's how it went. The bridegroom would go with his men, the the groomsmen, and they would go and fetch the bride from her house. And then on the way to the party, they would take the long route through town so everybody could see the parade. And of course, it took them a long time. They didn't go on a direct route. It's like when you have a wedding and then they stop for photographs along the way. It wasn't a direct route. Everybody should have expected this was going to take time. Who knows when the bridegroom is going to arrive and the party will start. So just be ready. It would have been the simplest thing for them to get enough oil 
but it was not important. And so it was an unbearable chore. They didn't do it. Now, if in hearing this lesson, you find yourself unconcerned, if this lesson doesn't bother you, then you should take a moment and pause. If you don't find yourself at least entertaining the question, am I a wise or am I a foolish virgin, then that question actually answers itself. It's like as Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Last Supper, and he said, one of you is going to put his hand in the dish and that person will betray me. And they all looked at themselves, every last one of them, and said, is it I, Lord? I don't say this to cast doubt in your minds. I'm not interested in getting you to doubt. But I want you to take this seriously. It matters whether you are a wise or a foolish virgin. It matters eternally. It matters whether you have heard and believe Jesus' words. It matters whether you are prepared or not. It matters. Now here's the reason that I don't want you to doubt, and here's the way I can remove all doubt in your minds. There is nothing simpler, there is nothing simpler than being prepared for Jesus' return. It is the easiest thing in the world. In fact, it requires nothing of you at all. All that is required is that you hear Jesus' words and you believe them. It is the simplest thing. You simply must hear and believe. It is only a chore, hearing Jesus' words and believing them. It's only a chore if it's unimportant to you, if you think that it doesn't matter, which is why I want you to pause and think about this parable. Does it matter to you whether you're a wise or a foolish virgin? Of course it should. And if it matters to you, then hear and believe that Christ died for your sins, that Christ died to bring you to eternity, to bring you into the wedding feast that has no end, the joyous celebration in God's kingdom of his righteousness and goodness and holiness that he wants you to have. There's a couple instances in the Bible that talk about hearing and believing God's word in a way that shows us how it can sound like a chore. So in Psalm 1, the psalmist tells us that the man is blessed who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but that man, the blessed man, the righteous man, the wise virgin, delights in the law of the Lord delights in God's word and meditates on it, how often? Day and night. Day and night. It's only a chore if it's unimportant to you. Or Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, we're to take the words of God's law, his commandments, which are not burdensome, St. John tells us. They are not burdensome. They're meant for life. They're meant for your good. And he says we are to bind them on our doorposts and imprint them on our hearts and put them on the, our foreheads between our eyes and we're supposed to talk about them while we rise and while we sit, while we lie down and while we eat, eat dinner, while we go along the way. We're supposed to talk about these things because they are the best things imaginable. Think about it this way. Imagine there's a young lady who's engaged to be married to a soldier. And the soldier gets shipped overseas to fight in a war. And he sends her a love letter. And so she sits and she reads that love letter. And she, of course she thinks to herself, I love this man. I'm going to marry him. He's going to be my bridegroom. And we'll live, to, we'll live in happiness for the duration of our lives. Of course she thinks that. But imagine how it would be if she received that love letter and she says, oh, I know what that says. 
I know what's in there. I know he loves me. What does she do? You know how she would behave. She would take that love letter and she would pour over it diligently. She would never let it leave her side. She'd put it in her pocket and she'd pull it out every spare moment she had so that she could remember, so that she could hear his love for her. She would cling to every word because those words are an expression of his devotion to her. She would not let it leave her sight. She would never let those words leave her ears. And if she forgot for a moment what he said in that letter, she would pull it out and remind herself because it means so much to her. It would not be a chore to her reading that letter, not in the least, because it's the most important thing she has. So it is for you and for me. The words of God in the scriptures, his words of life and salvation, of forgiveness, of the promise of a future, of a hope, of eternity, of the resurrection from the dead, they are the most precious things that we have. And yet we in our flesh so often treat them as a chore, as if hearing God's word were the thing, last thing we should do. We have so many other more important things to do. You know what that's like. You know what your flesh is doing inside of you when it tells you this is boring, this is a waste of time, there are better things to do. Push back against that. Don't let those lies hold sway in your hearts. You know how precious those words are because you know how important this is. It's like St. Paul says to the Thessalonians. Look, concerning times and seasons, concerning the return of Christ, I don't have to say anything to you. You know how the story goes. You know that he's going to come with a shout and the sound of a trumpet like a thief in the middle of the night. You are not in darkness. You are children of light. Live as children of light. Walk while it is day. Prepare your hearts now. You have that love letter. You have those words. Believe them. Hear and believe them. I say these things to you especially because temptation comes throughout our lives. And temptation comes, in fact, in our gospel lesson, while the bridegroom tarries, while he delays. It's not that he was delayed. There was no obstacle that got in his way. He took his time. And while he took his time, did you notice what happened? All of the virgins fell asleep. They did not all manage to watch. None of them did. They all fell asleep. The difference, of course, is that the wise virgins were prepared. And though they fell asleep in weakness, when they woke, they were ready to go. They were ready for the feast. Temptation comes because the time is long, because we do not know when Christ will return. Just consider, how would your life be different if you knew that Christ was returning tomorrow? How would it be different? How would you live the next 24 hours differently? Would you live them differently? If so, you know, that you know neither the day nor the hour. Remember that. You know neither the day nor the hour. Think about what things were like for Noah. He's a great example for us. Because, of course, God came to him and gave him precious words. Precious words that would have been horrifying to hear. I'm going to destroy the world in a flood. And yet you, Noah, and your family, I will save in the ark. Precious words. Can you imagine how often Noah would have thought about those words. How he would never have let them leave his ears. He would have reminded his children and his wife about them day and night. God is going to destroy the world in a flood, but he has promised to save us. We have work to do. Think about the instructions that God gave for the ark. Those details about the length and the breadth and the height. right, And about gathering the animals, the animals that he was to gather. What would Noah have done with those words? He would have held on to them tightly. He would never have let them leave his ears because they were God's words of life for him. 
Now think about what it was like for him as the time went on. As he's building this ark, and yet the days seem to be flowing one into another with no change, and the neighbors around him, the people that he knows, his friends, and his extended family, they start to say to him, Noah, what are you doing? You're living like there's going to be a flood tomorrow, but things are going on as they always have been. Noah, nothing is changing. There's not going to be any judgment. Yeah, there's right and wrong, but who's going to give you, who's going to call you to account? There's no God in heaven. Look around you. You see the world. Can you see God? What, do you have voices in your head, Noah? Imagine what it was like for him, resisting that temptation, as God delayed, as God was patient, waiting to save Noah and his family, waiting for the ark to be built. What would keep Noah faithful? What is the only thing that could keep him steadfast in his resolve to build the ark and to bring his family in and to shut the door against the world? The only thing is those words of God. Words which he would not have let go. Words that he would have reminded himself and his family of day in and day night. Day, in, day and night. He would have held on to those words dearly. Like a love letter. Like promises from on high. Promises of life and not death. Now after the flood, God said to Noah, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to destroy the world with a flood again. As long as the seasons continue, as long as the earth is here, as long as the plants are growing, this is not going to happen again. But there is a day coming, which we heard about in our Old Testament lesson. A day is coming, God says, when I will create a new heavens and a new earth. A day in which all will be get called to give an account for their deeds. A judgment day. You are not in the dark about that. You know that day is coming. You are children of light. So live now. Live now as children of light. How can you do that? How can you do that if you know in your heart or if you feel in your flesh that this is not always important to you? How can you push back against that? Here's one way that I think can be really helpful. It's to remember that although the example I gave at the beginning was of a student showing up to class and not studying for the test, this is not a test. What you're preparing for on the last day is not a test. It is not an exam. It is not a quiz. It is not homework. It's not drudgery. It's not a chore. What you're preparing for on the last day is life. So think about it in this way. How do you prepare, for instance, when you are getting ready for vacation? What kinds of things do you do? You pack the car with everything that you need. You carefully count out your clothing so that you know you have enough clothing to last you for every day of your vacation. You take along the things that you're going to need to enjoy the time that you have. You pack snacks in the car. Make sure you have enough starbursts so the kids stay happy. You are preparing because you know where you're going. What you're preparing for is joy and happiness. What you're preparing for is peace and comfort. This is how it is for you as we prepare for that last day. It is not a test. It is not drudgery because what you're preparing for is life. What you're preparing for is a kingdom of peace. Listen to how Isaiah describes it. Be glad and rejoice forever. I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. No longer shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. That's what you're preparing for. No longer shall there be suffering or sorrow or tears or loss. No more tragedy. No more grief. No more guilt. That's what you're preparing for. This is not a test. This is pure joy. This is happiness. This is salvation from everything that assails you in this life. Everything that troubles your souls and your hearts right now. Be wise. Prepare your hearts now. Hear God's words 
and believe them. Watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour, but you know this. Your heavenly Father is calling you home. Listen to him and believe. To him alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.